Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Avis Meyer, also known as Prof Meyer. He has been a professor at St. Louis University for 42 years, teaching journalism, literature, writing, editing, and film. The accolades are many, including several advisor and literacy awards, which we'll talk about today. We'll talk about that and more. Hi, Prof Meyer. Good morning or How good afternoon, whichever is just fine. Um, thank you so much for being on today. Thanks for asking. So you uh, you got here via Amanda of HEC TV fame, and Amanda just she couldn't say enough amazing things about you. And then I happened to be at the Arch Grants Awards. And Maggie Crane is there. And I told Maggie, I said, hey, just wanted to let you know I'm having Prof Meyer on my podcast. And she she did a big like, oh, and heart and happy. And I mean, so you have an effect on your students that makes them just, they love and adore you, sir. I'm blessed by many, many bright people. I am. It's awesome. So 42 years at St. Louis University, and apparently you and I have other connections, like Tom Eschen, who just Mary retired Leonard. from Maryville. Mary Leonard at the Post. So we, we've we got, we're, we're like one degree of separation. Well, we're not, yeah, we're, we're not, quite, not quite with Frank Bacon, <laughs> but close. Kevin Bacon's not here, but close. <laughs> He's somewhere. Yeah, six <laughs> so, degrees away. So what is it like, I mean, to do that for 42 years, you love what you do. I do. I did. Still do, and what and what what has kept you going? Students, uh, without, without getting too specific, I've never had a class in my life, and I, I figured out I've had six thousand students oh since gosh. I came to St. Louis U. I've never had a single class that wasn't fun, that wasn't entertaining, that wasn't that the kids weren't promising and eager to be there and appreciative. I think the two kids you just mentioned, they're appreciative where they are of what I do. Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't you love this? Why wouldn't you love this? Exactly. Yeah. And and you 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 describe it as you teach the fun stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's fun for me, and I figure if I try hard enough, I can make it fun for them. So what is your film class like? I would like to know about the film class. Well, usually we see anywhere from seven to eight films, and I rotate black and white because most students are not familiar with black and white films or are not fans, but after they see... Usually one of three or four black and white films that I usually show, they are f- fans of black and white films. Citizen Kane is the most prominent example. They understand okay. why the shadows are important, why the black and white contrast is important. All right. That. And the, sh- the films vary a lot. They are usually older, at least in, these, in the kids' minds, because there's something from the 70s, 80s, and now we're in the 21st century. But the only two films I show them without exception is Citizen Kane and A Man for All Seasons. Really? Those two. Okay. And then the rest are rotated. They, 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 Annie Hall are the graduate. Okay. Elephant Man are I Never Sank My Father. They're, they're serious, thoughtful films. And it, it varies a lot. It makes it easier for me if it varies a lot. It makes it easier for them because they may have talked to somebody, we saw this film, yeah, well, I saw this one. It's different. But I get them enthusiastic. I hope about camera work and dialogue particularly. And we don't see movies dominated by special effects or CGI or crashing, burning trucks and cars. Really? No, we don't no, do that. that. A lot of movies are like that I know. now. Make money. Makes money. <laughs> I understand. It does. But these are, these are films that are very thoughtful. Generally. Are you a huge fan of independent films? It depends. I mean, we, my wife and I probably hit movies, an average of not quite once a week. And there are years when we have a hard time keeping that pace up because she taught full-time, I taught full-time, we have two kids, I had two jobs, but we still try to do it. Uh, I mean, recently, 
we went to see Front Runner with Hugh Jackman, and it's well done. And I mean, I lived through that kind of thing, sort of, because I was so much older than the guy sitting across the room. He did, I mean, you may not even know who Gary Hart was, but it was pretty well done. But okay. you had to listen pretty closely. Not a single special effect that I can remember, except maybe occasionally somebody's face appeared in the background, wasn't really there. But very thoughtful, The Wife of Glenn Close, again, a very thoughtful movie. Did you see that by chance? No, I haven't, but now I want to. She's going to be nominated for Academy Award, I'll lay you money. All right. That is worth seeing. So are you a big fan of watching those then to see who's going to... Yeah, probably end up Frontenac as as a general rule, and I'm not doing an ad for Frontenac because their movies seem to be pretty carefully chosen. It used to be called art house movies. Okay, I, don't, I think that's kind of snotty. I don't think <laughs> I don't think those movies. They're just thoughtful. I think it's movies. like independent movies. Yeah, now. and that kind of what they. Some, I think yeah. that's the going yeah, saying like or that. whatever. So in all of the one thing that Amanda told me was you got to talk to him about his travels. You have traveled extensively. I mean, is there a continent you haven't been on? Mm, Antarctica. Okay. And I would my grandson, who's 10 and pretty pithy, says, you don't need to go there. No one lives there anyway. <laughs> but we, we, did, we have done this very gradually. And one of my favorite quotes in the world, Mark Twain, because Mark Twain has quotes for almost every occasion. Right. But uh, he said something like this, wrote something like this, that travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. And lots of people in the country need to travel for those very reasons. Oh, I could not agree more. And, and I, I love to share the stories. I mean, I have sort of a top 20, and don't tempt me. They used to be top five. Then it was top 10. Now it's top 20. <laughs> stories that are based usually on a sentence I'd never heard spoken before. Somebody says something other. Okay, I never heard those words put together like that. And that com- what comes from that is usually a pretty good story. So tell the story. Well, in Africa... We were in Cape Town for five days and got, actually went out. I got to stand in Nelson Mandela's cell. Oh, my gosh. An extraordinary moment. And Robin Island is sort of, think of Alcatraz off the coast of San Francisco, but instead of a few miles, move at 45. Okay. And you can see Cape Town, this beautiful white city underneath a flat mountain. It's called Table Rock, or Table Mountain, not Table Rock, Table Mountain. And I had a conversation with a guide who had spent 11 years at the, at the prison, and he knew Mandela personally. He gave me two that make my top 20, so it's actually like, like 1.5. When we were leaving, we got to know him a little bit. We were leaving. He told me a story about Mandela that I'd never heard before. The day he was released, and I checked to see if this was true, and it was, he, the government agreed, and he asked that he'd like to see in the papers and hear on the radio and see on TV that he was going to be released on that day. He said, we're going to do it. He said, I want to see it, read it, and hear it. So they agreed to do this, and the Cape Town media covered it. Then about a week and a half away from his actual release, he said he'd also like to have now in the paper, radio, and newspapers, and TV, an announcement he's going to hold a press conference. And they said, you can hold it. No, I want to see it. I want it to be publicly. So he said, okay. You want to have a press conference at 1 a.m.? And they asked him why, and he said, I just want to do it. So at 1 a.m. on the day he was released, they have a big press conference. And the guy telling the story is talking about a dozen of us from all over the world. He said, can anybody guess why he held it at 1 a.m.? I should have known this, but I didn't. I didn't think about it. He said at 6 p.m. in New York, and Tom Brokaw and Peter Jennings and Dan Rather led with Mandela, as did most of the U.K. and the North American continent. So he had the world online through through a satellite, and no one could do anything about it. By the time the African government realized what he was doing, it was over and done. Isn't that brilliant? Brilliant. Oh, my gosh. And the same guy, this is another, this is once one guy. 
gave me a print-ready line. You don't have to do anything, just print it. I asked him what's the first thing he did when he finally got loose. We walked to the boat and took the boat back together to mainland. And he said, I took my best friend and we went to the top of Table Mountain and we walked to the far end. And we didn't do that because it's like walking the far end of Forest Park, but we took little rail trains at the top. I said, what'd you do? And he said, when we got to the top, we walked to the very, very end of it. And we sat down on the edge of the precipice and you could see Rob and I in the distance. And this guy actually said this without thinking of it. This is print ready. He said, as a sunset behind Table Mountain, he said, the shadow on which we are sitting spread across Cape Town, then across the water, and then across Robben Island itself, including the cells, throwing everything into blackness. But the sun was on our back. Oh. Oh. See what I mean? Nice. See okay. I mean? On that note, let's we're gonna take a break and we will be right back okay. with Prof Meyer. Okay, so we are back with Professor Avis Meyer, who is filled to the room with awesome stories and quite jovial, I must say. So, and and it, let me just say something. This really intrigues me that you must be a great listener because you really listen to what people say, I right? Try. With with you know, if they say something really awesome and it just like cements itself in your brain. I'm blessed with a pretty good memory. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't take any credit for it. It just happens. <laughs> it's just, well, you it know, it's one of those gifts. That's a good thing. It is. So what other story are we going to hear today? Okay. You sure you want to do this now? Yes, I, okay. I asked. We, we finally made it to Victoria Falls. This is another Africa. And it really is almost breathtaking. It's almost impossible to describe. It's just three times the size of Niagara. And it falls a quarter mile. And two things I learned this day. One was one of those sentences I'd never heard before. And the other is a brand new image. I learned an appreciation for people who have never been to any sort of upper education, have never read, have never read poetry. They're not fans of language and beauty and imagery. But they still manage. I think there must be an innate inborn thing about the love of beautiful language because Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe is not called Victoria Falls. It's what we call it. The local people, this is told, told me by two different people who don't know each other, they have a name for it based on two things. One, that the mist that hangs in the air all day long between Zimbabwe and Zambia, which is the borderline, is always there. Always. Okay. And the noise that the falls make, we were in a hotel at least a half mile away. We could hear it at night unless we closed our windows, which we had to do anyway because monkeys came in and would steal your watch. Well, yeah, you don't there's, want the monkeys yeah, stealing. There's That's no a, screens on the window. <laughs> monkeys because, and Because of the mist <laughs> hanging in the air and because of the noise they make, they call it the cloud that thunders. Really? These are, this is uneducated people making this image up beyond what most of us could do. So where did Victoria Falls come from? Queen that, Victoria. Queen Victoria, okay. So. But the, the, the same guy that told me this, this is his sentence I'd never heard before. We're walking out of this heavy undergrowth from Victoria Falls. It's not very crowded. The village is small. There's people everywhere selling everything, hawking their, their wares. And a guy walks up to me, and I'm a kind of a husky guy, and he says, I'm wearing a regular short sleeve shirt. He has arms full of hand-carved animals, and they're really handsome. We end up buying from later on, another story. And he says to me, I'll give you two hippos for that shirt. I'd never heard that sentence before. <laughs> and I said, why would you give me two hippos for my shirt? Just an ordinary <laughs> short sleeve shirt. And he looks around to be sure no official is nearby. And he said, this is a very poor country, and clothes cost a lot of money. And we can buy medium, small, and large, and sometimes extra large, but double X is very unusual. <laughs> 
And he's right. I wear a double X. I said, well, that's really nice. And again, it's another moment of check treasure. I said, that's a really nice offer, but I can't do it. And I said, here's why. I said, I'm sort of freckled. He said, what's freckled? And I showed him. And he's, he's a black guy. Right. And I showed him my freckles. And he says, if they come together, we look alike. Oh, I love it. And we slapped each other on the back and appreciated that fact. And I said, and I said, if I gave you my shirt, I'd have to walk around all day long with no shirt on. He says, I do this every day. <laughs> I said, I know you do, but I really can't do it. <laughs> but you can do it without sunscreen. Yeah, and I, I told him we, we'd find him one of the open air markets nearby. I said, I promise in four days we'll come buy something. And we did later on. As I'm walking away, this is the kicker. He says, excuse me, are you staying at the big hotel? I said, we are. Do you have a long sleeve shirt? I said, matter of fact, I have two. I'll give you three hippos. Oh. I said, okay. Why wouldn't my long sleeve shirt wear with three hippos and my short sleeve shirt only two? And he leans over in almost conspiratorial tone and says, we'll be jacket for my too fat aunt. <laughs> oh. I thought, okay, this is going to stay with me. Keep an eye out for the ant, though. That's awesome. Yeah. And so did you trade the hippos? The, ne- the next, <laughs> when we got ready to leave, we went over t- to the big open air market and we found him. And we bought little elephant bookcases, book actually bookends. They slide apart and they were handmade. And my wife, who I refer to as the world's most nearly perfect wife, did the sort of thing she usually does. We, he said, these are $20 a piece. Is that okay? And my wife said, will you take 50 for both? He says, I will. Aww. He wrapped them up in bubble wrap on the ground. We packed them in our suitcase. We got home a month later. I'm giving these two to my two grandchildren. This is the kicker. My two grandchildren opened this up. They're 10 at the time and eight, and they have elephant bookends from Africa. And my 10-year-old grandson says, Mama, look, to our daughter. He points underneath the tusks of his elephant, and she says, what? And he says, African dirt. And sure ah. enough, when that guy wrapped it up on the ground, and so that kid put it in a plastic bag and put it next to the elephant. It's still there. Oh, cool! Isn't that cute? Now, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. the 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 bookends. Right? Oh, I love that. That that's dirt. what really got him. Yeah. And to this day, still has it. They still have the African dirt in the plastic bag. Oh, how fun! That's a great story. Again, that's top twenty stuff. So where else have you been that we need to know about? Like, what? Well, Ru- Russia has some stories, and China has some stories. The China, there's a China story that I couldn't wait to get back and tell my journalism classes, and you will know why. Even the guy over here in the chair is listening to this one. <laughs> Sam will know. We are walking across Tiananmen Square on a Sunday afternoon. There's not that many people there. And in the middle is kind of a dais made out of marble that looks like a formal Greco-Roman railing, about four foot tall total. And they, they stand there, and the Forbidden City is on one end, and Miles Museum's at the other, and the Communist Party. It's, it's vast. I mean, it's just huge. You can put St. Louis campus there. But there's not that many people there. And uh, three kids on a bicycle, I didn't know what was going on. There may be 10 or 12, and a little banana bike, and open from like the 60s or right. 70s. There's a boy in front pedaling and a boy in the middle pedaling, a little girl sitting in the back, and they circle around us and wave at us. And we are headed for the dais generally, and they are too. And they speak English. One of them, I think the little girl did, and they couldn't be 10 years old. They position themselves behind the dais, I realized later, so that the guards at the Forbidden City could not see them. They could see my head and Bobby at the top of my wife's head, but they couldn't see these kids. We'd been maneuvered there on purpose, but I didn't know it. They got off their bike, leaned it against the dais, and the little girl introduced herself, and she asked where we're from, and I told her America, and she said, whereabouts? I said, St. Louis, and people don't always know that, but Chicago, I tell them, well, right. and she's St. Louis, and she says, Mississippi River. 
I said, that's right. I'll be darned. Then she tells us to look around ourselves. And I didn't know what that meant. That phrase was odd. And she said, down. And we look at the cobblestones we're standing on. And again, this is, again, the hair on the back of my neck went up when I realized what I was doing. She said, do you see this? And she's pointing at cobblestones, and there's literally thousands. And they're as small as the top of a tea jar, or they're as big as a football. They're everywhere. And she touches one of them, and there's a spot on one of them that's lighter than the dark gray stone itself. But it's only a matter of degree. It doesn't jump out at you. But I realized that, and all of a sudden it coalesced. Those light patches were everywhere in the, in the middle of that gigantic square, everywhere. And I thought, what is this? And that's what she's pointing at. And she looks at my wife and says, blesh. And we don't know what she's talking about. And she says, blesh. And she does, she rolls her hands like this. And my wife says, bleach. She says, bleach. All those bloody spots have been oh, hand washed off the stones. Oh, Wow. So not only did they murder those people in '87, this this is what's there now. Oh wow! And and she then this is the moment she said, "Do you know what happened here?" And I said, "Yes, I do." And she looks at the boys and they nod. And she said, "Will you tell us?" Oh right! They didn't know. They don't know. So yeah. I told them as much as I could remember. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that gives that's a chill. That gives you I know, chills. I know. Thanks, thanks again. Almost every single trip, it's. We love seeing the things everyone goes to see, but it's the people running into in the, in the street. I mean, there's, there's a story about the Savoy Hotel in London that is the actually the antithesis of what I just told you. It's, it's silly and, and ridiculous, but I'll tell you if you want to hear it. Sure, go for it. Okay, the Savoy is a very expensive top-line hotel. Their, their town cars are antique Bentleys and Rolls Royces. Everybody wears a full tux and top and tails and a hat and a white tie. And we had our 30th anniversary there because we couldn't afford to stay there. It was $500 a night. But the dinner, we figured we'll swing that. Plus, one of my wife's philosophies is we'll never remember how much this cost, but remember having done it. Ah, and I she's love it. Right. That's yeah. right. So we got there on the button at 7. I have a white shirt and tie. It's very formal. And this maitre d' looks like something cast out of central casting. It's very proper. <laughs> he says, we prefer gentlemen wear jackets for evening wear. And I didn't have a jacket. And I told him I didn't. He said, well, we prefer you wear it. And what I've learned over the years, if you get in the back of the corner, you say, what would you suggest? And he says, what? He says, I would suggest you see the gentleman's gentleman in the ballet room. I don't even know what this means. <laughs> he points to, the, to his right. I go off to my left in a room not much bigger than his studio, just festooned with deep red, white, and blue banners and brass handles and walnut and mahogany and a little bitty man wearing a tuxedo who's completely bald who stands up and says, may I be of service? And I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. I said, the Bader D said, I need a jacket for evening wear. And he said, true. And he literally walks around me. And I'm a good-sized guy, but I'm not. He walks around me like he's walking around a car, looking me up and down. And he says this. We have fine linen jackets made of the finest Irish wool from size 36 to 46. But I believe the gentleman's exceeded our expectations. <laughs> The single nicest insult I've ever heard anybody say in my life. And I'm trying not to laugh. And I said, well, 
I said, no one's going to see what I'm about to do, but you can see it. I, I said, why don't we try the 46? He said, let's give it a go. <laughs> let's give it he a go. He shakes his fist in the air like it's a World War II assault on Dover. We're going to go for let's it, Let's give it dude. a go. And I said, okay. Oh, my gosh. He gets his handsome jacket out, and we put it on, and it is, it's a little snug. Man, it's really, it really is a handsome jacket, but it's tight. And he brushes me off with a little silver-handled broom. Why? I don't know. He's behind me, <laughs> brushing off my shoulders. And he says something I'm not even certain I'm supposed to hear. He says, and I'm going to say this quickly because it's the way he said it. I think this might suffice if the gentleman doesn't breathe too deeply. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm trying not to laugh. And I I told him, is that it? And he said, that's it. And I'm starting to leave. He said, I don't mean to be indelicate, but I have a question. I said, fine. Do you have something of personal nature you might leave behind for the safety of our coat? And I said, I don't know if I understand, but I can give you some. (laughs) He said, well, people have made mistakes in the past and just accidentally left our edifice without telling us. And they took our coat along because it, it is a handsome coat. And I said, all I have, I literally have it. I said, all I have to give you is my Swiss army knife. So I reach in my pocket and pull out this Swiss Army knife. He says, I'll do nicely. He walks over to a burgundy curtain and pulls it back. And there's a battery of walnut drawers with dragon head brass door handles. He pulls it open. There's a white silk pillow. He puts it down. He says, that'll do nicely. <laughs> okay, we'll remember this forever. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Now the kicker, so you didn't leave with the jacket. No, I got okay. my knife back. But there's a kicker to this. At the end of the meal, we're sitting on as close as we can get to the Thames in this gorgeous room. And I don't know what the meal was, but it was probably as much as our first house payment when we got married. <laughs> when they when we finished, and they knew we were there for an anniversary, I'd made the reservation. The wait, one of five waiters we had. One waiter did nothing but put the salt and pepper shaker back in the middle of the table while we we're eating, just to make it look balanced. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> and. They came over and asked, we'd like to have dessert. And I said, we don't usually do dessert. And said, well, we did a bit of a mere thing. I said, okay. They brought out this gold scalloped oval plate with about 10 petty fours on it, on which they had written in chocolate syrup, happy anniversary to the Myers from the Savoy, taking a picture of it and framed it and gave it to us. Oh, that's so cool. A, it sets a standard. I love sets it. Sets a standard. I love it. I love it. Okay. All right. We're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Okay, so we are back with Professor Meyer, and I have questions for you. Okay. Um, I always stalk everybody a little bit to find out more about them. This That's where this question came stalk? from. Stalk? I, I stalk you a little bit. Get to know what you're up to okay. here. So what is your favorite Buick? <laughs> I've had seven. <laughs> Uh, my second favorite is the one I, I was driving when my wife and I started going together. It, it was a 55 two-door hardtop black and white with factory air. For a 55 Buick, that was rare. Ooh. In the diary in which she kept and we found years later, the first date we ever had, she wrote, this guy's got a car with air conditioning. Ooh, yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> <And> 64 <laughs> is pretty unusual. <laughs> but my favorite one is one I have right now, which I finally found almost 30 years ago. My grandfather always wanted a straight eight Dynaflow, and I finally found what I could afford. Most of them, most cars, old cars, are advertised as either a mechanic's dream, which means it's a disaster bucket case, <laughs> or it's showroom ready, which means it's a fortune and I can't afford it. Right. But I finally found one, which is a great story, but I won't go into it now. And I bought it about 1987, and I still have it. Really? It's a straight eight black Roadmaster, top of the line. It weighs almost 5,000 pounds before I get in it. 
and it gets about 12 miles. I was going to say, what's the gas mileage on that one? 12 miles to a So gallon. you don't drive this yeah. often. 1,000 <laughs> miles a year max. Okay, gotcha. Max. To sh- and you, do you show it? You go to shows and such? I have or? it. It's won a prize twice at Easter Show at Forest Park for original. It's original. Oh, my gosh. I still have the original spare in the trunk. I still have the original owner's manual in the glove box. Oh, my gosh. And my wife makes the joke. She said, that car never gets washed. It gets dusted. <laughs> <laughs> She's right. I love it. Okay, so you as a person that, you know, you, I'm going to guess you're well-read since Read, you are. I try to be. My <laughs> so, students are, so I have to try to keep up with them. Well, yeah, yeah. there you go. So um, is there something that you read every week without fail? Like, is there a, a, a go-to, like, I have to read what this person's writing or? New Yorker magazine. Okay. And, and The Economist are my, my two magazines. Those are your two favorites? I use them in class. Okay. When when they're old, when they're old, and I've read them, I give them to students. I said, "Read this when you have time, or not. I don't care. It's not a class assignment. I want to get them hooked on the Economist, in New Yorker, because it's the best English speaking news magazine. I believe on one side, and the best feature writing on the other side. Okay, very cool. Generally, generally. Um, you have to tell us about green pens. <laughs> you have done research. I have done my research. Well, most in the fifties, fifties and sixties, even in the seventies, almost everyone I knew graded with red. And I agree with green. And it's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. The way this happened, I'm going to try to make this brief. I was a professional Santa Claus when I was 20. Oh, I can totally see that. The, <laughs> the, old, the old Sears store, there used to be a chip on Grand, which is now gone. Yes. I dropped out of school to work in a steel mill over the summer. And because my dad believed that if you paid your own education, you were more appreciative. So I had to pay my own way. This also saved him a lot of money. <laughs> I was going to say, I think my daughter would go yeah, for that. I stayed on. When everybody went back to school in August, I stayed on because they gave me a job as an assistant foreman. Because with two years of college, I was the most educated guy in the flat. And I stayed on until they started laying people off in November. I ended up applying for a job at the Missouri. After Thanksgiving, got laid out at the Missouri Employment Office. And I could have sold shoes at Scruggs, Vandervert, and Barney, which you wouldn't know unless you were much older than you are. Or I could be a mailman, or they needed a professional Santa Claus at Sears. And that's the one I took. And since I was 20, they almost didn't hire me until I told them I'm the oldest of five kids, and I don't smoke and I don't drink. So they gave me a kind of a trial period. And I was such a hand man that they gave me the suit when I left, and I still have it. Oh, gosh. But this is connected to the green pen. One of the many kids I talked to, little girls, little boys I talked to over there, one little girl actually wrote me a thank you note because she got the stuff she asked for. And it's a complicated story I won't go into. It shows up in Cape Girardeau when I'm going to school. I'm back in class. And the dean of students calls me and says, you have a letter from St. Louis. I thought, what's this about? I go into his office and written in red Crayola. It's addressed to Santa Claus, Sears, South Grand. It ends up in Cape Girardeau at the dean's office, and I get it. Oh, my gosh. Inside, the mother has written a note on the backside of the note written in red Crayola. And she said, we really do appreciate your, your patience with our daughter, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, this would be really neat to write back. And I said, I asked the dean, do you have a green Crayola? Well, I knew he wouldn't. He said, no, but I have a green pen. He gave me his green flare, and I kept it intentionally, and that's how I started using green pens. So no grading in red. No, All grading. I do it in green. But, and then um, I believe some of your students actually get to have green pens at the end. I, tr- I do my very best. I've, I've only gone to St. Louis' grad ceremony in full regalia about twice. I just show up, and I try to give my favorite and best students a green pen when they leave. And if they, if they didn't make straight A's with the good kids, they get a free cigar. Oh, wow. They get a cigar <laughs> or a green pen. Where, I try to do it. What kind of cigar do you give them? A little. It's in a little blue tube, so it's t- it says good. It's Garcia Grand Primos, they're worth ten bucks in London because of taxes here. They cost about two fifty. Oh, really? But until you open the blue plastic tube, they're good forever. So if I go to London, I should 
bring a bunch take of cigar. cigars I've never, with me? I've never had a cabbie <laughs> turn me down for a cigar instead of a five-pound tip. Really? Yeah, and never. I said, I'll give you five. I mean, taxis, I mean, London cabbies are a delight. And I've never, I said, five-pound tip or cigar. I'll take the cigar, mate, and they grab it every time. Oh, my every gosh. Time. This is a great tip. What? Okay, so we have time left. What other travel tips should you, I mean, come on, you have to have a ton of them. Well, this is not something I made up, but my wife and I travel enough that when we go anywhere at all that's exotic, like New Zealand, Australia, Russia, Finland, whatever, we carry on my back in a small knapsack. One could be changed clothes for both of us, our toiletries and medications, because if your luggage doesn't get there, you're in trouble. Right, right. That's that's, an important thing. And twice, twice we've had to live out of that knapsack for a couple days, which was okay, but people who don't do that It's It's not fun. And try hard not to be the ugly American. Oh, thank you. We, we we go out of our way. Not we were. This happened once accidentally. Do I have time to tell you? Our yeah, Reku- go. We're we are in Reykjavik, and a man asked me where we're from, and I told him we're from St. Louis. He didn't know where it was, and he said, "Is it a big city?" I said, "No, not really." I said, "The greater area is like two and a half million." And he said, "Oh, really? Population of our country is three hundred thousand." <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's so, that's I'm big sorry. to us. I'm sorry. Because we we had been to China, where if you ask someone approaching a city, is this a big town? No, 11 million. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's all where you're from. Perspective. Well, so when I went to St. Louis, I, I did the Madrid thing. I went to Madrid for a year. Yeah, I taught there one summer. And uh, so much fun. Yeah, it was. And um, people in Spain could not fathom how big the United States was compared to their country, which is rather small compared to us. And so people would say, like, they would say things to me like, what does the Grand Canyon look like? Well, I haven't been there yet. But it's in your country. <laughs> well, but it's it's kind of a drive. And then and then um, they thought that all of us went to Disney World every like that was our thing. We went to Disney World every year. I'm like, well, we don't. And again, that's kind of a drive, you know. And no really, you know, you're trying to explain to people, yeah, it's like 16, 18 hours for me to drive. Really? They they couldn't fathom how big the United States was. We we lived with friends in Plymouth over three months last uh, like two thousand four or something, and they wanted to come here and visit us. And their plan was to take a week off and drive from New York to Los Angeles and visit us. I said, if that's what you do, you would do nothing but drive. All you can do is drive. That's it. That's all you're doing. Yeah, there'd be nothing about, about how small. If you, we were in Casablanca. And again, we had dinner at Rick's Cafe, and we did all this kind of stuff. But what happened, we didn't anticipate. We were walking through an old British fort. Imagine a 20-foot white walls with towers each end, the size of a football field, and the, the gates on each end are gone, and there's now an open-air market there. 800 people selling everything in the world. And they walk in front of you in reverse and shake, shake their wares in front of you. And if you take a left or right, they fall away. And another group calls in and they sell their stuff. It's fun to watch. It's a little intimidating, but not much because nothing's going to happen. It's broad daylight. As we got ready to leave the fort, this tall, thin man wearing a turban and a young man with a turban and a white robe nods at me, almost a little secret. I want to talk to you over here. And I step <laughs> off the trail and he leans over and says in a secretive tone, I know someone from Idaho. <laughs> As though this is the inside track for an American. I'm trying not to laugh. As it turns out, I have a close friend who's a veterinarian who lives in Boise. We've been there. I said, I, I know someone from Idaho, too. And he said, is it Dave? <laughs> it, it is Dave. I said, I'm sorry. My, I don't know Dave. My friend's name is Paul. And he thinks and says, I do not know this Paul. <laughs> What are the chances he would? And I said, I'm sorry. He said, this is a pity. 
I thought, what a great... And my wife and I are trying not to laugh, and he reaches in his the folds of his robe and pulls out a wooden bowl and says, you want to buy a bowl for $5? <laughs> Sure. And I did because the bowl of five bucks is worth the story. Absolutely. <laughs> that's why. That's why we love travel. Oh my gosh, I love it. That is, but it is true. It's, it's it's where you're from, yeah. and you don't know. And everybody knows everybody in Idaho because it can't be that big. I, mean, <laughs> I do not know this Paul. <laughs> I do not know this. Paul. I don't know Dave. That's a pity. <laughs> and there's only one Dave in the whole place there's anyway. It seems like you know him. <laughs> there, I mean, here are two guys, and you don't know him. What's going on? Anyway. I love it. So what's next for you? Well, we just became a professor emeritus, and we still have a few places we want to go. I've got a left knee that gives me some trouble, and my wife has a, wife, my wife has a right hip. So we're careful about this, but we're headed for Egypt in January. Oh, are you? One of the big places we have not been that we always wanted to go. Every time we want to go, some upheaval occurs, and people get shot in the streets, and they call out Trist Square, and so we don't go. But this time it's looking a little more calm. We're going to try to do this for the three weeks. Three weeks in January and February, we're headed out. So I have the weirdest reason that you can imagine for wanting to go to Egypt someday. And that is, I want to go sit in the pizza hut that looks out at the pyramids, because I think that's so weird. That would be. In fact, if you get a shot of you sitting in the pizza hut looking out, that'd be even weirder. So if you get to the pizza hut, will you send me a picture? I promise I will. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. You're the only person to ask for a picture of a pizza hut in Cairo. Thank you so much. I will. It would make me so happy. (laughs) Make me happy to take it. Someone outside said, "What are you doing? The pyramids are that way." I said, "This, yeah, this weird pizza, podcaster this pizza. gal, I know." <laughs> There's this chick back home wants a picture of Pizza Hut. Well, thanks, Prof Meyer. I appreciate it. It's been a delight. Thank you so much for being on today. Really Anytime. appreciate it. Anytime. Great stories. I'm sure we could like have 27 podcasts with your stories. I'm afraid we could. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, thank you right. for everyone out there. Uh, you've been listening to Mishmash Podcast. Please go to iTunes and subscribe. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you.